my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Listen every Thursday or join the conversation anytime on Instagram at What's Her Story Podcast. Carrie Walsh Jennings is the most decorated beach volleyball Olympian of all time, having won three gold and two bronze medals. You were the child of two athletes, which is quite rare. And so did you feel like it was your destiny to be an athlete? Sam, I definitely think it's in my DNA. (laughs) You know, I think by nature, by nurture, by what God blessed me with, it's like, in my veins is the competitive, you know, element. And I fell in love with sports right away. And I think I fell in love with sports um, from the get-go because I saw my parents so in love with sports. So, you know, the people I love the most in my life, who I trust the most in life were like showing me that there's so much joy and purpose in pursuing these things. And it just, I feel the exact same way when I compete now. And how was it that you chose volleyball? Was there another sport first or was it always volleyball? No, you know, I mean, I found volleyball when I was 10. So, you know, I feel like my whole life prior to that, I played every sport and I played every sport, whatever was in season. That's just kind of how we grew up, like multi-sport athletes. My parents really believe in that for diversity and range. And so you don't get burnt out. So I I have a big brother. We're 11 months apart. And so I did everything with him. I played basketball, played baseball, um, soccer. I was always one of the boys in our little town in Scotts Valley. 
And but when I found volleyball in the fifth grade, um, it was like head over heels. I'm so in love. This is new. This is different. This is all female. Um, which I don't think I realized that I, I didn't realize I was a girl at that point, <laughs> you know, I was just like a tomboy doing my thing. And then I found this sport that was like, all my friends were playing. My mom was coaching and it was just awesome. And it feels like now people start specializing earlier and earlier. Now that you have three kids, what's your philosophy on sports and specializing? I mean, I'm just a big fan of trying everything and I'm not a fan of specializing. I think at a certain point going into college or pros, you specialize. But um, have you guys read the book Range? No. Should we? Yes, you should. So especially on this topic, but it compares Roger Federer basically to Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods is like the anomaly of all anomalies, right? From three years old on, he only played golf, um, but he is very rare. There's only one of him, but Federer played all these other sports and every sport that he did just helped him develop more range within his tennis, within his business life. And so they just say, whether you play sport, you know, what, sports as a pro or not, the range you develop by playing multiple sports, by trying multiple things is just priceless. And I definitely, I, I've experienced that. I believe that. So with our kids, they play whatever's in season. You know, I just told both boys the other day, I'm like, you guys know you don't have to play sports. Right. And they're both looking at me like I was crazy, you know, because they want to win. And when they don't win, they take it on themselves, you know, and I don't want them to have that baggage either. I mean, they're, you know, 11 and 12 right now. So anyhow, whatever's in season. Um, and I just want them to try a lot of new things. My parents planted a lot of seeds in my head growing up. You know, I lived in the Bay Area. I played every sport. I watched them play sports. They took me to Stanford. They took me to Santa Clara. I went to museums. Um, I watched the pros play. And because of that, I just kind of found my path. So, Carrie, your mother was a college volleyball champion at a time when a lot of colleges still didn't even have women's sports. How did she become an athlete? She was born into it. <laughs> you know, her, her, like my Nana, her mother, bottom, like hands down, the most competitive human I've ever experienced in my life. She passed away when I was 18. She was my hero. Still is. She's still very present. But she was gnarly. And then my grandfather, they called him Grandpa Big M. His name is Marty. He's in the Santa Clara Hall of Fame. He had a nickname. He was called the Splendid Splinter. He played in the Rose Bowl football. He was a track star. So it's just in our DNA. And my mother is like her mother, the fiercest, like gnarliest warrior angel you've ever met in your life. Like she's had eight children. Three of them were her first sister. She carried triplets. She was surrogate. So she is one of eight children. Six girls, two boys. They kept having kids until they finally got their boy. <laughs> and he came at number six and then number seven. Um, but my mom, um, she loved having babies. Like she had five of us. I have one brother up in heaven. Um, but right before my mom, I think my mom was like 37. And she's like, look, Michelle, her sister, like the time is now. You know, they tried IVF. They tried everything for so long. And my mom's like, I'm meant to do this. I would love this. So they put in, I think, six eggs. They said likely none of them will survive, and all three of them did, and now they're turning 30 on May 8th. So that's my mom. Well, something you said about her stuck with me. You said she was like a warrior angel, like, you know, both of those. Would people describe you like that? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not as tough at all. Like, my mom is a warrior in everything she does. I might be a warrior on the court. Um, and well, maybe, I mean, I have elements of that. I aspire to be like my mom. So you chose an athlete to marry. It almost seems like it would have been sacrilegious for you to marry out of the athlete kingdom after all of these generations. Like you couldn't ruin the lineage. <laughs> Did you feel that way? How funny. Well, we're not breeding. I promise you. <laughs> no, no. I, I just, my heart loves who I love. And, you know, I, I fell in love with Casey like the first week of dating him. I felt like he was family. And no, I just, I, I'm just like his biggest fan. I think he's so incredible. Um, but it, like, I don't think it would have worked with anyone else because we had the same job. Like we had our first two kids. We traveled the world as a traveling circus with all four of us. And then my sister is our nanny, you know, like my life is so full and he's just been such an amazing champion with me. Like it just doesn't work without him. He's, it takes a man, you know, to like, I'm a lot. <laughs> so in many different ways. So I'm just so grateful. What do you mean when you say it takes a man? Describe that. You know, I take up a lot of space, you know, and I feel like you have to be very secure in who you are. 
I run fast. I have big dreams. I, I don't like waiting. I like to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, but I also want to, you know, have a simple life and have my children and be very closely connected to all of that. And so I think kind of the athlete in both of us allows us to be utility players, you know, um, it allows us to be nimble together, but it takes a strong human being to be so supportive and not that he takes a back seat, but he just, he lifts me up, you know, and he doesn't diminish himself as he lifts me up. And I think that's a really strong soul to be able to do that. What was the last thing you thought about? You know, I was in marriage counseling and I am pretty adverse to confrontation. And I'm one of those ones who like swallows my feelings. I can handle it. I can handle it until I can't. And so our, our therapist, Mike Gervais, who's an incredible performance psychologist, he's like, Carrie, you cannot be afraid to engage. You cannot be afraid to conflict because there's deep intimacy there. Um, I honestly can't remember what we fight about. I think I, don't, I have no idea. Some silly, stupid stuff that <laughs> we don't need to fight about. How do you parent? Because I think sometimes when you're such a doer and you're such a go-getter and you have three different kids with three totally different personalities that might or might not mirror your drive, how have you come to you know, reconcile that with your own parenting style? You know, fundamentally, I'm just, I love my, I'm so in love with my children, you know? So love is just the foundation. It's probably obnoxious. Like I probably let them get away with too much stuff because, you know, I come, I came from an upbringing of so much, like literally unconditional love, but it was very tough love, you know, and not a lot of soft nurturing love in, in its own way, but it wasn't that, you know, and I feel like my mom and my dad were preparing me to be who I am. You know, and so, but I think on the flip side of that, I'm parenting slightly different in the expression of my love. And, but I, I feel like the way I am as a human, like, I swear, I feel like I've effed up in every way. I've succeeded in so many ways. I've been an a-hole. I've been an angel. I've been everything and then some. So when my children are being who they are and they're doing great or they're having challenges or they're failing or triumphing, like I've been there largely, you know? So for me, it's just like, I just want to remind them that they're okay you know, and just if they do something wrong, how did that feel? Did that, did that make you feel bad inside? Okay, don't do it again. You know, kind of like as simple as that, because I feel like if they can have that self-awareness where they can kind of love themselves as they mess up and they know nothing is the end all be all, you know, no failure is too big. Like you always have to carry your head high because it's just a rep at something, you know? And so I feel like that's, I don't know if that's a parenting style, but that's certainly I'm kind of raising my kids as, as really young high performers with a lot of focus on self-love. And my husband is gnarly and he's incredible. And the way he, his expression of that, I think it balances us out. You know, um, he's like from Vegas, born and raised, like he, he's from Vegas. And that should tell you a lot about my husband. Like we're so different, you know, like our whole worldviews are so, I grew up in a bubble in a bubble and he grew up in Vegas, <laughs> you know, so our kids get like the Pony Pollyanna, um, that side of life. And they get the Vegas gritty streets of life. And it's a really powerful combo. My husband is so, he's so emotional. He's so like tuned in and he's very empathetic as well. So I think we just meet our kids where they're at a lot with high expectations and with a lot of, yeah, a lot of love for sure. So you went to Stanford and then how did your career evolve from there? Well, Stanford was like my first big dream come true. I grew up 20 minutes away and it was just like, uh, like the best place ever for me. After Stanford, I played in my first Olympics. So I was a senior at Stanford and I left for, for two quarters to compete in my first Olympics in 2000. And then after that Olympics, my whole world changed because I left indoor and I went to beach volleyball. And like on day one, not only was I trying out with Misty May, now Misty May trainer, who, you know, is my Michael Jordan, my idol. That was the start of 10 years plus of playing with her. But on day one, I also happened to meet Casey because we trained against him when I was trying out with Misty. And so, you know, I was, I was so like almost having a panic attack, like playing with my childhood idol, trying out for what could change my life. And Casey was on the other side of the net, didn't like pay one lick of attention to him until the last ball of the match. He tried to like, he almost took my face off because he went to go finish the game. Um, and then we kind of had a moment of like, oh. And then a couple weeks later, we just started hanging out. So after Stanford, everything happened very fast and it was awesome. Did you return to school after that? I did. Yeah. So I took two quarters off and then I returned in the fall of 2001. What was it like to go back? Awesome. Oh my gosh. I thought like, I felt smart for the first time. <laughs> 
you know, like I always like, I always just fancied myself a, a jock and an athlete. Like I'm like, I know why I'm here at Stanford. It's not because I'm the smartest. It's because I can play volleyball and I'm not too dumb. And I don't mean to diminish anyone. Like everyone there is so gnarly. I just really diminished myself and I was so insecure. And so I think it took me being away and like kind of living a more worldly life to go back there being like, oh, I have thoughts of my own and no one's judging me. Everyone is just trying to figure stuff out. So my last two quarters there were my favorite. And that just makes me want to have my kids take a leap year <laughs> so they can like go experience life, you know, because it just, it's crazy what a little perspective can do. What was your relationship with Misty like? Because I feel like there's been, you know, a lot of talk about it. It's so unusual and it, it's just so exciting. You know, I just love her so much. Like with all my heart, I adore her. And Misty and I were so similar in so many ways as far as our values and our discipline and how we show up. But our expressions of all these things are so different. So you think we're like night and day. And I think that's why we fit. But she's just, she's like my sister. I just did an appearance with her in Virginia. And it was so fun to be on stage with her just rehashing our magic. Because I think it took us a while. Like we were just never satisfied we were always working so hard and having so much fun in the pursuit because we literally believed we could be so dominant. And it wasn't like an arrogant thing. It was just like, we have something very special here. Let's like push this to the max. And that really filled us up. But when you're in it, you don't really appreciate the magic. And then now that, you know, it's been almost 10 years since I played with her, which is shocking to me to rehash the magic and the love. It's incredible. But our relationship, Sam, was you know, especially after when Misty retired, um, I kept playing and I think, you know, feelings get hurt and interviews get said and things are out of context. And I hurt Misty's feelings a couple of times, totally unintentionally. And I think there was a sensitivity there that I just didn't have the awareness to acknowledge. You know what I'm saying? And so we've been through heaven and hell together. And for a couple of years after we separated, we weren't really friends. I loved her from a distance, but I couldn't really kind of connect with her and the way we used to, which of course that relationship is going to change, but we grew back to each other. And now we, I mean, we have rekindled that love and that friendship. And, um, I just, I adore her. She's so special. Like everything you see of Misty is so true. And she's just such a great human being. What was it? Do you think that brought you back together? It's hard to find love again, whether it's friendships or lovers, you know, like, it's hard. Well, I don't want to take all the credit, but I'm very persistent. <laughs> like It's like with my marriage. Like I had a moment with my husband, you know, after a couple, two Olympics where he's like, I cannot do this anymore. And like, I understand, I understood his point of view, but I'm like, but no, you're wrong. <laughs> like we're meant for each other and you just lost yourself. And with Misty, I'm like, no, you just forget that you love me <laughs> and you forget that we're special. So I'm not going away. You know, of course I would go away if I if they were like, no, seriously. But, you know, like I, I'm, I'm pretty empathetic. I can feel people and their vibrations and I can put myself in their shoes really easily. And so I feel like I was persistent and then I gave space and then I just continued to love. And every once in a while I'd broach the topic like, hey, miss, I'm still here. Like <laughs> you want to connect. One other thing from something you said about your partnership with Misty, which sticks with me for a reason as you said, you both just knew you were dominant. You knew you had something special. A lot of girls and women do not allow themselves to feel that, even if they know it to be true. Like, why do you think you were able to? I think because we were together. Like, we were like a force together. I feel like, I feel like if you try to like tell yourself that alone, it's harder to believe. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I can rule the world and dominate. And it's like, when you're together, you're like building something together. And it's more of like a vision outside of yourself, even though you're required to bring all of yourself. I don't know really how to like speak to this articulately, but I just know that being with Misty was so empowering and it literally was not about anyone else or anything else. It was about us. And so for me as an adult now, and as someone who wants to continue to joyfully dominate and kick ass, no matter what I'm doing, I want my kids to do this as well. I, I have to make it only about me. I literally like my, my lead up to Tokyo and even Rio to a certain extent, the last two Olympics, like I had too much focus outside of myself and that diminishes me, you know, like I revere everyone. I have so much respect, but if I give too much credit or if I spend too much time focusing on what's outside of me, then I can't self-source the confidence that's required to say, I can do this again and again and again, and I can dominate. You know what I'm saying? I think that focus has to be very internal. When you were going through it and you were building this together, how did you and Misty resolve conflict? Um, you know, there really wasn't a lot of conflict because we won so much, you know, but I'm like in this, I'm in life for the depth of it. 
And so almost my soul craves like hard moments because then we, you know, like we talked about intimacy, Amy, right? When you're conflicting, you get depth. But Misty and I, our first, second year together, Misty's mom passed away. And then we went on the road and tried to take on the world together, you know, and we're both like early 20s at the time, figuring out the game, figuring out each other. And that life happening, like made us connect so deeply. And it was such a gift. Like it really was. And I feel like that set the tone because she was very vulnerable with me and she's not a vulnerable human being at all. She's very strong and she's very internal. Um, and that allowed me to be there for her. And so I think we, it, we got comfortable in that situation a little bit, which was again, such a gift. And then when things came up over the years, it was never internal. Like it was always people being like, oh, miss, you should dump Carrie. You know, she's overrated or Carrie, like go try someone else. Like, and it was so dumb to me. And, but sometimes people are relentless. And if you're having weak moments, you're like, oh, well maybe, maybe the grass is greener, you know? So a couple of times, one time in particular, there was a lot of that going on. And at some point it was just like enough of this talk, like, are we going to stay together or break up? And we had this moment of reckoning. We're like, no, we're, <laughs> that's silly. Like, we're going to stick this out. And this was after our first gold, you know, where people just want you to separate. And, they, you know, people get a kick out of doing that to people. And then we were weak and we kind of let someone come in between. Um, but any other conflict between us was so minimal, you know, and we had so much trust. And we were talking the other day at our appearance and it's like we were so individually so driven. I never worried about Misty. Like, I knew she was busting her butt. And she knew I was busting my butt. And then we'd come together, travel the world, and just show up and play freely. And so the moments of frustration went into that was very, very minor. And now a quick break. Are you a woman-owned business looking for a new sales channel? I'm so excited to tell you about our newest partner, the W Marketplace. Founded by two women, it's a nationwide e-commerce site for women entrepreneurs and the shoppers who support them. It offers favorable terms and is a supportive community for female-founded companies. With over 500 women-owned businesses selling thousands of products and services, the W Marketplace might be your favorite new sales channel. Intrigued? Learn more at jointhewmarketplace.com. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. 
employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. When Misty retired, how did that impact you? Were you afraid of what would happen next? No, I really wasn't. You know, Misty retired and then unretired and then retired. So I was just so grateful that I had her for one, you know, two more years after that initial retirement. Like that was a dream come true because she retired in, I want to say like 2011, early on. And I called her, I was like, Miss, are you sure? Because I want to go for the next Olympics. I need to find a partner. She's like, yes, I'm done. So I got a new partner. And then she called me a couple months later being like, we need to talk. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And so like, that was one of the hardest things I've ever experienced because I had to call my dear friend, Nicole Branna and being like, Nicole, th I have new information. Things have changed. Like we need to talk. And I remember sitting down, we were at a coffee shop in Manhattan beach, like grabbing her hand being like, Nicole, I'm about to break your heart. And it was like, so gnarly you know, and, um, I still gives me chills, still hurts my heart. And Nicole has forgiven me, but you know, that changes her life. That changes everything. And so anyhow, so, um, when Misty retired the second time, like we knew she was done, she was so done, <laughs> you know, uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, like she earned the right to go out on top and be done and start her family. And so I was very, very prepared for it. Very, you know, I was so sad. Like after we won in London, I literally would not let go of her hand. Like every interview, I'm like, you are here. Like, you're not allowed to leave me. So, you know, you do the circuit after you win and it's like crazy. Like I wouldn't let go of her because I just knew it was going to be different the moment I let go of her hand. And it was. Talk to us about training while you were pregnant for that last gold medal. So the Olympics are always in August, right? End of July, August. There's always a tournament like a month before the Olympics and it's in Stad, Switzerland, which is, if you guys haven't been, like you need to go. It's my favorite town in the whole wide world. But Casey and I decided to give it a try, you know, because like my first pregnancies were very easy. I had maybe one day of, um, you know, sickness, the whole two pregnancies. Like I was one of those jerks. I loved every moment of it. Like it's just one of those things. And so the doctors always say, you know, base your next pregnancy on what you experienced before. So I wasn't worried at all. So we tried in Shad, we conceived in Shad, and then a month later, you know, as the Olympics. So I was very, very, very early. Like I missed my period, I think very early in the games. And then there was a point of reckoning. It was after a couple of matches at the Olympics. And I remember taking an ice bath after a game. It's like midnight, like we're celebrating. We won. My husband's ordering room service with our two boys who were, I think, two and three at the time. And I, I was like doing the math and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm pregnant. And I call it to my husband in the other room. I was like, hey, babe, I'm like, I'm late. I think I'm pregnant. And he's like, that's how we do it. And then we just carried on. <laughs> It was like, and I told Misty the next day and she's like, am I supposed to be surprised? And with like, I referenced earlier, Sam, that I hurt Misty's heart a couple of times, like unknowingly. And that was one of the times, you know, it's like, cause I didn't involve her that we tried to get pregnant in Stad, you know, and then to tell her and, and she hadn't had children yet. And, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to be speaking out of turn with Misty. Like these are just, these are my experiences. So she has her side of everything, of course, but it hurts me that I hurt Misty you know, by being just casual about my stuff, you know? So I definitely learned, learned there. 
because um, it's a very nuanced relationship, obviously, and being a woman and getting pregnant and doing the, the dance and, you know, it's like your whole life you don't want to get pregnant and then when you do, you want it so badly. Like, did you ever think you wouldn't be able to compete while having babies? I mean, you had three while competing. Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly not. Well, and I don't know, like my mom, my mom just showed me. Like, I swear, she was pregnant with the triplets in Hawaii, six-month pregnant, huge, body surfing. You know, she would play softball and slide, you know, like, very competitive softball, slide with a huge belly. Like, it's just, you know, I, like, I felt, training when I was pregnant, I felt like a warrior. You know, I wasn't training to win gold. I, I was just training to, like, reinforce myself for my, my baby and to be empowered. And it was definitely a different perspective in my body, and I appreciate my body so much, you know, I'm, I'm way less critical, even though these days I'm very critical. Um, I need to get over it, but I just, I trained like, like I wanted to be the healthiest human for my child and I wanted, and I, that, and then I also wanted to have my baby take a couple weeks off to heal after and then go and doing all that when I was pregnant, really, um, it allowed me to do all of that. And it's sanity. Like if I'm not moving, I'm not a happy person. Your post Missy retiring for the second and final time. What happens to your career? Um, it kept going and it's still going. I don't know if I'm retired or not. I gave myself till July to figure it out. <laughs> I'm like going crazy, not knowing. So this is another way I hurt Misty. So after Misty and I won gold, we hugged, we played the Americans in the finals and it was April Ross and Jennifer Kessie. And we gave our hugs. And when I was hugging April, I said, April, congratulations. Now let's go win gold in Rio which was four years away, the next Olympics. And I honestly, I have no idea where that came from. It was like, I hadn't even thought about anything, you know, consciously, but it came out and I'm like, yeah, that, that's about right. <laughs> like that feels right. And then I said it and it was done. And then I went and I was so in love with Misty and, you know, like it was just here and gone. And then April and I partnered up and we got bronze in Rio and it was incredible. It was, it was so fun with April, you know, and we were, we were so close to just doing it. We were the best team I believe in the world. And we had a bad night in the semis. I had a tough night in the semis and we played for bronze and that bronze was incredible. Like a huge, huge mental accomplishment as an athlete who prides herself on always getting up when she gets knocked down. You know, you gotta be careful what you wish for <laughs> because, because I was able to put my character to test that night with April. How do you think about failure? You know, after we lost in Rio, like I lost myself. Like I really didn't, I didn't understand that I had identified myself as a winner. And if I'm, if I'm not winning, I'm, I'm a loser. Like I carried a lot of shame for many years after that. And, you know, I'm still working through that, how to process it. But now I look at everything as a stepping stone. I learn from experience. And so failure is just an experience that's meant to build you in the various ways you need to learn and grow. And now I see my weaknesses. I see my failures. I see what I lack as untapped potential, you know, and the failure is there to highlight what I have to work on. The failure we're talking about is a bronze medal, correct? Yeah. But it was so gnarly, Sam. I don't even know what to tell you. Like I just, it, it ruined me. And it's not like, I don't mind losing. Like, I, I mean, of course I mind losing, but it's like the way you lose. You know, and that night, like I kept fighting. I kept trying to crack the egg. I stuck with April. Like there were, I just didn't play well, you know? And so I don't like that, obviously. You know, I, it was really hard for me to look to, in April's eyes after that. It was really hard to look at my family's eyes and my coach and be like, I'm so sorry, you guys. You know, and I felt like I, I made myself on an island when it really is a team game. You know, we didn't play great that night as a team. And I just focused on myself and I built a wall of shame. But, you know, I... That also is kind of like my kryptonite or my answer to having it not happen again is to like become superwoman, right? And that's really, I mean, perfection is not even possible. But if I take ownership of everything, then I can at least fix it. If I like point my finger, you know what I'm saying? Like I need to take ownership so that I can just address these things. How did you and April discuss it after that? How did the two of you reconcile your relationship when you kind of blamed yourself for everything and and we're so full of shame. You know, I, I mean, that night was really hard. We kind of had our team meeting after, and I can't remember what was said, you know, we're kind of numb, you know? And then like we played 20, like 23 hours later at like 11 PM, right? Or 10 PM the next day in Rio. And so all day, like I didn't, I slept maybe an hour that whole time. I'm assuming April did the same. 
we were just kind of handling it in our own way. I had private conference, uh, like meeting with my coach. And by the, by the time we came together to get ready for the match, my coach is like, you guys, like it's done. Like whatever you do, just stick together. I don't care if you're up, stick together. Or if you're down, stick together. Just that's my only request because then you have a chance, right? And then prior to that, before like I kind of got ready for the day, I was just kind of wallowing and I literally was lost. And my husband's like, babe, you need to stop. Like, this is ridiculous. Like you have, like you're an athlete, you have you have earned the right to fight for another day. Like go and win this shit. You know, you are an American. Like this is the American spirit that you love so much. Get out there. You're so supported. And that really helped me kind of turn the corner, you know, and then hearing my coach say, just stick together. Because there was the the bronze medal match started how the semifinal finished. It started as a nightmare for the first game and a half. And then there was one moment where April, like I was just kind of an automaton, just like trying to figure it out. And I didn't realize I wasn't like deeply connecting with April. And at one point she grabbed my arm. She's like, Carrie, I'm like, yeah. She's like, Carrie. And she like made eye contact. And that was just like, okay. And then literally a point or two later, like there was a gnarly point, like we outlasted, we won. And that changed the whole game. You know, it's, I, I love April. You know, we, uh, we had a, a kind of a falling out after, after the Olympics the next year, just mostly because like domestic volleyball politics, but you know, it's like politics these days, you can't take it personally. And we agree to disagree and, you know, we parted ways, you know, and there's no hard feelings. I think she's wonderful. And she won gold in Tokyo. I'm so happy for her, you know, so, um, I'll end it as it should. It's almost like the way you talk about deciding whether to retire, it's like some, crystal ball is just going to manifest itself and tell you, but, but you're in the driver's seat of that decision, right? I mean, yes and no, Sam. I, you know, I opened my mouth the other day about who I would play with if I came back and this person is deeply private. And so I can't go there right now. And it's a very mutual decision. So I'm being kind of cryptic, but for important reasons, but you know, like, like three months ago, no, beginning of this year, I was like, I literally don't know. I had two two things that happened with my children who are, and I was like, maybe I can't do this. I had one thing where I was gone in the lead up to Tokyo for a lo- many weeks and my, my kids came over to visit me and my daughter was like, hey, mama, can I talk to you about something? I was like, yeah. She goes, on the day that you left for your long trip, we took a picture. And in the picture, I was crying because you were leaving and you were smiling because you were leaving. And I was like, oh my God. Like that, it was the gnarliest thing ever. She's looking at me right now and it like crushed me. And I was so grateful that she had the awareness to talk to me about that. Cause that could traumatize a child thinking your mom is so happy to be leaving. It rocked me to my core and we had a great conversation, you know? And, um, so that's one thing like heavy, heavy, deep stuff. And then there was another conversation. It was my, my son, Joey wrote me a birthday card and he, he, it was a really funny card. And he wrote it and he's like, you know, mom, I'm, I'm 12 years old. And some of the hardest times in my life have been when you were away. And, and then he wrote this other stuff and I'm like, <laughs> oh my hell, like this is fine. And so, and they're so honest, like the, how, like what a gift. And so, um, I was like, I can't, like, I can't do this, but I have this calling in my heart. What do I do with these two things? And so in the meantime, we've had many conversations and now the solution that we came up with is that we do this together. <laughs> so we travel together. So I need to get an airline sponsorship and Airbnb partnership, and then the whole crew can go together. And um, that's the dream. And that was always the dream for us to travel as a family, as a traveling circus and you know, real, realize our dreams. And so if my partner who I want to play with, if she's in, then it's on. But we gave ourselves till July to figure it out. And so um, I told her I'm in and now I'm just waiting. So what do you do? We know that you don't just sit around and wait. You're probably writing her love letters every day. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> no, you, I'm like, I have so much restraint right now. Well, I blew it last week by doing a podcast. I was like, oh, I because I'm so casual. Like I have no secrets. And so I, I learned a definite boundary <laughs> in this new partnership potential. But she's my friend. I love her. She'll forgive me, but I'm, you know, I'm working on my company, 14 P 1440, and I'm really trying to give back to the game. I really want to leave the sport in such a better position. And right now, um, at the pro level, it's, it's having a tough time, but the juniors are incredible and the collegiate level is incredible. So there's a lot of great things going there. I'm training, but I'm just not playing volleyball, but I will soon. I live in Tahoe now. And so the snow just melted like a week ago. So things are changing and, but I just want to do it my way. Like I want to finish how I started and I started like so joyful 
and so curious and just, just like, I don't think I was self-absorbed, but I just love the personal development part of it. And I didn't care about anyone else. I wanted to have fun with people, but worry about me. And that's how I want to finish, you know? And now a quick break. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up... <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was a junior athlete, and then I went to college and played varsity tennis, and One of the hardest things in my life was to lose my identity. Like after I stopped playing tennis, I truly didn't know who I was because everyone in the world knew me as a tennis player. That was my entire identity. And so regaining my identity and figuring out who I was without my sport was really difficult for me. How do you think about that? 
You know, I feel like I've lived that a couple of times, like with each pregnancy and, you know, you bow out, you're like, oh, well, they don't even care. <laughs> like you're already gone. You know, so you kind of realize where you fit in the picture of the world that you're just, you know, like something very special, but so minor and, you know, time goes. So that's really helped me kind of get some perspective. But also, you know, like I, I decided I was going to take this year off and hopefully I come back. If I don't, I don't. But my, my purpose in life hasn't changed. You know, like I'm here to literally develop myself into the best me I can be. You know, volleyball is my, my vehicle my whole life and that will transition to something else after this. But above the self-development and becoming the best me, like I want to be a light in this world and I don't need volleyball for that, you know? And so I think, I mean, I'm 43 now, I'm almost 44. Like I've lived a life, a lot of heartache, a lot of like dreams come true. And I will not settle for a life that does not involve being inspired, inspiring, staying fit, inspiring, empowering, you know, I just, I can't do that. You know, and it's not, and it's hard, you know, it's so, it's so easy an athlete, like you, you have three trainings a day and you're really fit and you feel like you played the part. And I think to have a different kind of, I don't know, I don't know. I, it's going to be hard for me when I do finally retire. So I haven't really lived it yet, Sam, to like to the fullest extent. I know I will grieve it. I know I will be devastated, but I also know my life keeps unfolding in a way that the next logical thing that's rad keeps showing up. And so I'm just expecting that to happen. And I'm a worker, like I'm a dreamer and I'm very good at, I'm, I'm just so blessed that I have amazing people around me and I'm not afraid to say, Hey, let's try something. Let's do something, you know? So I'm not really worried. Amy, let's go to the speed round. What book are you reading? It's Dan Millman. It's the author who wrote way of the peaceful warrior. And it's another one of his book books. I think it's like his whole, whole life, not just his college life. Can't remember the name. But if I could recommend any book in the whole wide world, it would be As a Man Thinketh uh, by James Allen. It's my favorite book. What is your morning routine? Okay. My ideal morning routine starts at night <laughs> so I can wake up early. So an ideal would have me like in bed by 945. Never happens. Waking up at 430, making my hot water uh, with lemon and honey, journaling, meditating, breathing. At six o'clock, two days a week, I have a workout with my trainer on Zoom and then my kids wake up at seven and then we get going on the day. So, but I found that if I wake up an hour to an hour and a half before my babes, before I have any obligations, my day feels like I'm on vacation, even if it's the craziest, hairiest day. Who leaves you starstruck? I mean, I'm just a weirdo. I, I mean, I, my heart races fast with any cute person or kind person or celebrity. I don't know if it's starstruck or not. I'm just kind of an anxious human. I don't know. I feel like everybody and nobody. Does that make sense? <laughs> but like if you went out to dinner tomorrow night and there was one celebrity at the restaurant and you were like, oh my God, holy shit, guess who I just saw? Who would that person be? I mean, all of them are fun to see and look at. I would like pee my pants if I had to talk to any of them. I have this documentary series that I want to shoot, which is like sitting down with high performers who are doing the juggle of life, like long sustained, excellent careers with the family, like some divorce, some don't, some retire, some don't. And my thought of interviewing these people gives me a heart attack. And my list is like the highest people ever. You want to hear the list? Yeah. Um, okay. Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Abby Wambach, uh, Laird and Gabby. I have Kevin Costner. I want Morgan Freeman, um, Condoleezza Rice, like these people. Carrie, do you realize that you are a celebrity? No, I don't. My husband gets so pissed off. <laughs> He's like, babe, it's ridiculous. Stop it. You're not that dumb. And I'm like, I just, I don't know what to say. I'm just, no, but I need to, because it's like, I did that podcast that I like spilled the beans and NBC Olympics picked it up. And now I like got my friend, she's all mad at me and I need to be aware of these things. So our final question, if you were not a volleyball player, what career would you have? You know, I would have to compete in some way, like period. And I don't know what that looks like because volleyball has just been my whole life. But I just have this, like, I'm like a cage, like, I've, I haven't really competed in a year and I'm like a caged lion. Like, I'm literally like, <laughs> let me at it. I'm going crazy. Like, I, I have my company, P1440. Like, I am so honored and proud and we are on a mission. So it's Platform 1440. It was, you know, we serve the volleyball community, juniors. Um, sorry, we have live events and we're digital programming as well. But 1440, there are only 1,440 minutes in the day. I learned that's the marriage counseling. And I learned that I was wasting every, so many minutes in my day. And so we wanted to create a property that served the game, but that brought in universal wellness and awareness, 
you know, themes. And time is precious, time is sacred. And if we can inspire you, Sam, you, Amy, to live in the moment, all of us know on this call that the moment is where our point of attraction is, our point of power is, where truth lies, love lies, our future is created right now. And so 1440, we have a tour for juniors. We're actually giving away $110,000 in prize money, scholarship money to our juniors athletes, never been done before. Um, so basically we're subsidizing their journey to get a college scholarships. It's really powerful. And we're kind of in transition now, figuring out our next move because we really want to, we want, you know, events are very finite. So we want to, you know, scale and do that on the digital side. But like my head is like, I'm only, I'm only magic in person. I don't translate this way, you know? So I don't know how to give the wisdom and all that stuff digitally yet. You have magic in you. Like I want to go run a marathon now and I don't run. I mean, seriously, you are a very motivating, inspiring person. Well, that's very nice. Thank, thank you. I'll have to accept that because... I'm trying to say compliments. Sam, one thing that's really interesting and perhaps one of the reasons that I think Carrie's interview was so different is that we do not ever hear women talk about business relationships or friendships that don't go the way of the angels, right? Or that, that break up or that end and then finding our way back to each other. Like that is messy. That is complicated. And I feel like women aren't allowed to talk about that. And Carrie just owned it in this really beautiful way. Well, I don't even think that's it's that women aren't allowed to talk about it because I don't think men talk about it either. I don't think anyone talks about business relationships and how hard they are to maintain and how how important they are, right? I mean, our our partnership is so important to both of us and we have ups and downs and we have to get into it a lot because we're dealing in the trenches every day. And I think that you know, part of listening to her was just enlightening for us. I mean, I think she was so honest about how hard it is and how awesome it is and how lucky you are to have someone that you work so closely with that you love. And I was just really inspired by just the way she talked about it. It was really funny. I actually, there was one story, I can't remember which one, but I was like, oh my God, I'm so the Misty in this and Amy's so the Carrie. <laughs> I think it was when she she won and then she like whispered in that woman's ear like, okay, it's you and I in four years. I was like, oh my God, Amy would do that to me. And I'd be like, weeping in the, I'd be weeping in the corner. She had stepped out. She was dead. <laughs> but it would still make me weep. That's the thing is Misty had stepped out, but it still made her sad. I would be the Misty. Anyway, I just, I love Carrie and I definitely want to have her back. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would appreciate it if you'd leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Stacey Para, and our male perspective, Lou Burns.